Hello and welcome back to Pixels and Ink. This is the podcast where we peel back the layers of all things digital and print, one pixel at a time, to try to understand how the world is changing with respect to the convergence of digital and print. I'm your host, Dave Rosendahl, president of MindFire, and today we're switching things up a little bit. Instead of our usual format, we're going to have an extra special episode for you. We're actually bringing you the audio extract of a webinar that we just held titled Preparing for the Enrollment Cliff, What Higher Ed Needs to Know. And this is a session where we dive deeply into key strategies that can help you, whether you are a direct mail printer, a marketing company, an agency, or a higher ed institution, to understand how you can establish meaningful connections with the right students as you navigate the upcoming enrollment cliff. If you don't know what that is, you want to make sure to check out this episode because there is a significant change in demographic and enrollment that is coming up roughly 2025. So anyways, you're going to have to hear about that all in the session today. We dive deeply into that. In this discussion, we've gathered an exceptional panel of thought leaders who are going to delve into four significant topics all around this idea of the enrollment cliff, how you prepare for it, how you want to adjust your strategies for that, the ways that you can effectively get ahead of this so you can diversify enrollment and be prepared to harness digital technology as consumer behavior is changing. On the podcast, you're going to hear Bart Kaler. He's president of Kaler Solutions, Marty Gray, vice president at Ring Digital, and Dr. Mary Parker, who is the VP of Enrollment Management and the associate provost at the University of Florida. If you're part of the higher ed sector or enrolled in some capacity to drive enrollment numbers and that's keeping you up at night, then this episode is just what you need. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into the conversation. Here we go. I'm Dave Rosendahl, president at MindFire, and my job as the moderator here is to draw out conversation that's meaningful to everyone here in the audience. My company, MindFire, has had a long relationship with higher ed, and somehow I've kind of become a bit of an industry connector, bringing folks together like the panel that you have here today to advance the industry. Our company's vantage point is through the eyes of a data-driven omni-channel platform that we offer the market, powers many higher ed, enrollment for many of the top institutions in the U.S., as well as numerous other industries. So that's the, the vantage point from which I come to the conversation today. But far more important than me is the panel here. So let me introduce first to you the first gentleman here in the hot seat, and that's Marty Gray. He's the vice president and partner at Ring Digital. He leads business development and sales for Ring and brings 18 years of experience with technology, sales, and marketing to Ring Digital, which he joined in 2015. Marty lives in Delaware, Ohio with his wife and his two children. He said that in his free time, you'll find him at the barn where their daughter rides horses or at the baseball diamond with their son. Marty, how the heck are you today? I'm doing great. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, talking more higher education. And actually, my flight gets in at 11 o'clock tonight, local time. And then I wake up bright and early and we're on our way to the baseball diamonds in Kentucky. So it's going to be a great Memorial Day weekend. Awesome. Fantastic. My team is going to drop your LinkedIn URLs into the chat there. I think they've already done that. And folks, if you want to connect with Marty, please grab that link there in the chat and connect with him. He is a wealth of information for all of you here. Next up, let me introduce to you all Dr. Mary Parker. 
She is Vice President for Enrollment Management and Associate Provost at the University of Florida. Dr. Parker serves as the university's Chief Enrollment Strategist, and she has over 31 years of higher ed experience within enrollment management. And that's a wide variety of things, addressing financial aid, uh, organization strategies, revenue generation, different models for revenue generation, and domestic and international recruitment strategies. Mary, thank you for being here with us today. How are you? I am doing great. Happy to be here with all of you. Excited to talk with our the people who are on the call with us. So it's going to be a great, great hour that we spend together. Totally agree. And team, if you can drop Mary's LinkedIn profile there in the chat so folks can connect with her, let's make sure that we make that connection as well. And up on the agenda next here is Bart Kaler, certainly very deep wealth of knowledge here around print marketing design for a variety of different brands. Bart's actually a first generation college student. He founded his organization in 2011 to provide solutions, very tailored solutions for higher ed clients. He's got over 35 years of experience in design marketing. Like I said, he's worked with top global brands and nonprofits, Motorola, I am's pet food, the Lumina foundation, the American Bible society, and the list goes on. He lives in Fishers, Indiana with his wife and his children. And by the way, Bart has an amazing podcast. Actually, my team can drop that here into the chat for you. Over 100 episodes, all things higher ed marketing. And so if you're looking for real practical hands-on advice on how to level up your marketing game and enrollment, it's a good podcast for you. In fact, I think he's also got some podcasts on the topic that we're reviewing today, the enrollment cliff. Bart, how are you? And thank you for being here with us this morning. Hey, David. Thank you for the kind words. And yes, excited to be here and uh, have a lot of uh, a lot of podcast experts talking about the enrollment cliff, as well as a lot of other things. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great podcast and the guests are what make it great. Absolutely. Just like all of you here. And I see Chris in the chat saying, I got to check out that podcast. It sounds like it's fire. It definitely is. If you just jumped in, <laughs> I see Adam, Anita, Alex, Anna, Carrie, Chris, Chuck, Cynthia, Haley, please drop into the chat there and say hello. I want to make sure that I know that you can hear us and see us there because this is uh, about to kick off here. By the way, if you are here until the end of the session today, I'm going to be looking, all right? You're going to receive this new white paper that you see here on the screen outlining the five ways to start preparing now for the enrollment cliff. And in that white paper, we're including insights that this panel is going to contribute today in the discussion plus more that we think you'll need in order to factor how this is going to change your work, how to factor that into your thinking now. So please make sure you stick around until the end of the panel. I've asked my team to check the roster of who's here at that point, and we will make sure that you get this white paper the moment it's published. So if you are ready to get started with those introductions out of the way, please go to the chat right now and give me a yes. Everyone, everyone ready. Alex, I see he's, he's psyched. He's ready to go. Give me a yes in the chat if you're ready to go. Jay, Carrie. Anna, Bill's ready to go. Everyone's got to be ready to go. All right, Chuck says yes. Matt says yes. Sam <laughs> says yes. Okay, fantastic, good. All right, so let's get started. The first thing I want to dig into here, as we think about preparing for this looming enrollment cliff, I want to make sure we're all thinking and critically looking ahead at this anticipated dramatic drop in the college age population that begins in 2025. 
And so Mary, I'm going to actually put you on the hot seat first here. <laughs> Thank I'm you. I'm going to address this first to you. Yeah, you got it. Get you warmed up. <laughs> From your perspective, Mary, how is the looming enrollment cliff changing the way you are recruiting at your institution? It, it kind of walk us through how your thought process is changing there. You know, first, I, I will say this is something I think every enrollment leader, every institution is dealing with. And, you know, we are preparing for and have been preparing for this looming cliff. But what we also know is the pandemic has really pushed this cliff much sooner than we expected. And we are seeing fewer college going students today as we did in previous years. We also are seeing students choosing not to go to college, and this is impacting all institutions. And, you know, the future doesn't always look great for where we're headed. And I think what we do at our institution is really begin to look at what are the demographics that are happening in our state? What are the demographics that are happening in the surrounding areas? And begin to look at what can we do to support our institution? You know, we are a large public institution, a flagship institution. We have been very fortunate in the state of Florida to see upticks in high school graduation rates, not like my colleagues around the country. Hmm. But what we also know is that my colleagues around the country are coming into Florida because everyone is going outside of their primary markets to look at students. So the competition has increased. What we know is that students today are a hot commodity. They're a scarce resource. And it's some the, these students are all the students that we're all going after. So what we have done in the past, we can no longer continue to do. We also know that the students that were out there recruiting are different than those students we recruited five and 10 years ago. And we have to think about what differentiates our brand. We have to meet students where they are. You know, I have a college age student and she hates text, but man, if I got on Snapchat and sent a picture of myself and said, Hey, how you doing? She's going to respond right away. So it's thinking about these prospective students and how do we meet them where they're at, but also being authentic. These students want yeah. authenticity. Like we have to think about that and we have to think about, you know, our recruiting strategies is not a one size fit all anymore. You can no longer have the same message to everyone. You also have to understand our audience, right? What are they interested in? How do we make sure that we are using sophisticated modern marketing machines? We can't just send a view book anymore, right? So right. we're really looking at all of this. And we're also looking, I'll say the last thing is that as we think about these downturns in high school graduation rates, and I know this is something we'll talk about Later, we also have to think about other revenue streams and other things that you can do in terms of increasing your enrollment. How do you build pipeline pathways? How do you make sure that if you're using dual enrollment at your institution, you use that as a pipeline to get those students to come? I think as, as we, again, think about where we are today, where we're going to be in the next five years, if institutions are not changing what they're doing, then they truly are going to be left behind. So I right. think this is a great topic to be having right now. So if I could summarize, Mary, in one word, it sounds like change. There's a lot of change left, right, up and down that we are experiencing, that you're experiencing, that we're all going to have to grapple with. So Bart, let me come over to you next here. 
Same question. In your mind, how is the enrollment cliff changing the way you're helping institutions recruit? I think there's a greater sense of urgency than what we've seen in a while. You know, I've been doing this for, I think my first website in higher ed was in 1997. And so wow. the, the urgency over the past, you know, 25 years is, is ramping up quickly. I think not only mm-hmm. because of the enrollment cliff, which is a big part of it, but to Mary's point, I think that the, the ways that students today, especially Generation Z and the upcoming Generation Alpha, when we're talking about traditional undergrad, that those there's so much more distraction right now. And so I think that a lot of, a lot of schools are, are needing to start to get comfortable with the fact of trying some new techniques, some new ways of doing things that they might not have done before. Mary kind of indicated the view book. I think that's a great example. I mean, Prince not dead. Prince got a resurgent coming back. I think there's a lot of data around that. We're seeing that in a lot of the work that we're doing in enrollment marketing. And I think that's a, that's one piece of the puzzle, but I think what's going to go going forward is not only this urgency, but this idea of being open to trying a lot of new things. And mm-hmm. I, I spoke with an enrollment leader this morning and his, his whole meant mantra has been, you know, try, fail, learn, you know, he, he pounds that into his team. It's like, you know, I would rather try fail something and learn from it and keep trying other things until we find what's right. And right. I think that's going to be a little bit of what's going on now is that just the idea of, you know, sitting back with the catcher's mitt and waiting for things to come, that's not going to happen anymore in enrollment. Every institution is going to have to start working for it. And yeah. um, I work with a lot of smaller schools, and so they're already used to working for it. I mean, May 1st came and gone. They're still working hard, and they're going to work hard up until you know they'll be ready to apply people as they're pulling up in minivans if they want. But it's going to start feeling that way for everybody. And I think that that's going to be you know part of the, the new reality that we're going to deal with. Yeah. So what stands out there, Bart, is this idea of being open to the new, being open to new ideas, things that are uncomfortable for some of us that have been doing things that, you know, maybe in the past have worked, but are rapidly changing in terms of how consumers and the student population and their parents are changing with technology and communication in general. I'm going to go to uh, you next, Marty, but as I get you queued up there, I want to hear from everybody in the audience. Anna, I see a question that you just dropped into the chat there. Thank you for doing that. But audience, I want to hear from you. Take a moment to think here. What are you doing to prepare? I want to give you a moment to type that into the chat as I get Marty queued up here for the same question. And then I'm going to read back some of the ideas that those of you who are here and dropping that into the chat give us. So I want to kind of compare and contrast with what you're doing and what the panel is bringing to the surface here. So Marty, same question for you from your perspective at Ring. What are you seeing folks do to prepare for the enrollment cliff? Yeah, thanks, Dave. That's a great question. And Mary really said it about having to reach the right student, the specific student. And I think it all stems from two things. First, we have to listen. We have to talk less and we have to listen more so that we can truly hear what it is that a vice president of enrollment, someone like a Mary is looking for. What are her challenges and those like her? What are the challenges? And we've talked with countless people and it's really fun to learn about them and hear their stories, but it all comes down to this. You have to define their universe. You have to Mm. define their masses. Like who, who is their mass group of people? And that mass is defined by a different number each time. 
because you have, you're going to talk to a transfer student differently than you would with a stopout student, or you would talk differently to them than you would for the, someone who is a first generation college student. Those are different conversations and you have to reach those masses, that group of people, no matter what that size is with the right message at the right time to that right group of people. And, and I'll, I'll say this, I, I heard this quote or this idea several years ago, and it was about, it was about, Hey, how do you get something to go viral? And I just sat back and listened to someone else's answer. So I can't take credit for this. And they said, you know, you being viral, wanting something to go viral, you need to define what that number is. Because if you have a hundred people that you want to reach with a specific message and you got 99 out of those 100, that went viral with that group. But if you're trying to reach 10,000 people and you reached three, then we didn't listen well enough and we didn't take what we learned to that group of people. And so that's how we have to listen and take strategies, which I know we'll get to more of that later, but it really, yes. is, about, really is about listening and, and really being thoughtful and intentional on how to reach that group of people with the right message at the right time. Yeah, I see uh, some interesting additional points of view here in the chat, Marty, that we can kind of run up against what each of you have said here. And I'm going to read a few of those off. Ed, forgive me if I mispronounce someone's name. I'm not great with uh, pronunciations, but I see Yazan, hopefully I pronounced your name correctly, saying that one thing is more on-site and in-person recruiting. If anybody resonates with that, uh, let us know there in the chat. Marianne is saying, I've also read about an institution that is providing an incentive to faculty that have been teaching at their college after so many years, el eligible to collect something like 75000 to retire early. Interesting. Mm. Uh, Victoria saying, I'm trying new tactics and strategies to reach students. Susan added personalized communication on multiple platforms, targeted financial aid strategies, and defining my position in my market. Anna says, We're, we are a transfer institution and primarily graduate level. One of the strategies to address our market is to build an undergraduate college so that we can compete for high school students. We are also working on pipeline programs, heavy investment there. And we're working on a strategy to keep the denied students by redirecting them to another program in a different school. Very interesting. Thank you for providing that insight there. I see Haley also dropped in a note there. And to my team who's keeping a tab of those, uh, thank you for also letting me know that those are coming in. Please keep your comments coming in, folks. You're, you're helping to enrich the conversation here. I want to move next to kind of going a, a level deeper in something that each of the panelists have talked about, which is how do you target your efforts to find the right students and really become intentional about who you are, you're going to recruit. And so I'm going to go back to you again, Mary, first up here. I want to know from you, as you work for the university there, what are you finding challenging about targeting the right students? You know, I think one is that when I think of the way that we build our recruitment strategy, I, I believe that recruitment is part of the entire campus, right? And there are certain populations that certain topics and things that are happening on our campus would be more important to them than others. So one, you have to engage 
You have to engage your stakeholders on campus. You have to understand what are those opportunities that students want. So I'll even back up before them, we have to know those populations and what they want, right? That was a, and I'll give a great example. When I first got to Florida, I kept hearing we were having difficulty increasing our underrepresented population. And so I said, well, has anyone talked to them to find out why they don't come here? And there was a lot of anecdotal information. So we went out, we talked to alums. I went out and I talked to current students. I talked to high school students. And what I learned was that one, we never said we wanted you here. We didn't talk about community. We didn't talk about financial aid early enough in the, in the admissions funnel. And so understanding who are the students you're going after, what are the things that are important to them? When do you need to be communicating that information is critically important. And then building your strategies around that. And you know, when we did that, we increased in one year, 25% in, in, in our African-American population. I mean, that was a significant increase in one year, but we had to do the research before we needed to understand. Sure. And more importantly, we needed to know what they wanted. Right. And it, sometimes it's just very simple for a university to say, we want you here. Mm. There is a place for you. You matter. L listening and then using that to engage the population that you want to go after. Bart, what, what, what about you? From your perspective, as you help organizations target the right students, what would you say is most challenging right now in that, in that area? I think one of the most challenging areas within enrollment marketing is the idea of, to Mary's point, you, you've got to help students self-identify that they're a mission fit for your school. Okay. I think this idea of we're just going to reach out and grab everybody and anybody, that just doesn't work. And, and you, know, you know, I talked with Bob Johnson on the podcast. He's one of the you know, grandfathers of, of website design and higher education. And he taught me on the podcast that, you know, there are three questions a student asks when they get on the homepage, you know, am I going to fit in this institution? So, you know, is this bigger or smaller than my high school? Is, is, is it what I'm looking for? Is it, is it, you know, have the, the core that I need? They're going to have all kinds of lifestyle, all kinds of things they want to know about that, that fit. The second question they're going to ask is, well, do you have my major? Because that's going to be a big thing that they're looking at is I, I have this desire to go into this field or study this. Do you have what I want to study? And the third thing is, can I afford it? And so the challenge is, is that we've got to find not only the right missions fit students, but we also have to also help educate the students and their families like mom and dad. When we have sticker prices that are on our website that really we have discounts, we have financial aid, we have a lot of other things, we have to make sure that we're communicating in a clear way of you know, what, the, what that actually is going to look like. Because just grabbing the, you know, one of my biggest, I have, I have two huge pet peeves around tuition pages. One is copying the tuition page from the catalog because it provides no context of how much it's actually going to cost. And the second is, putting the tuition in, in terms of cost per credit hour. Students don't have a clue and they really don't care about the cost per credit hour. They know what their budget is and they want to know what they need to do and what they want to do. And so we've got to figure out ways to better communicate with students. We have to figure out ways better to present our institution and really be able to do things that are going to help students be drawn to us because they see that mission fit is already there and, and they, they're drawn to that. 
Anita has an interesting comment here in the chat. Students mm -hmm. also want or need to see people on the admissions and recruiting team that look like them. Mm -hmm. Cultural competency. Yeah, I see the, the panel nodding to that, Anita. Thank you for, for putting that uh, insight in there. Bart, I'm going to come back to you. you. You alluded to something here that I want to I dig into a little bit more. Kind of a two-part question for each of you here. H how are you determining who you want to target today? And secondly, do you think we still also need to get in front of the parent, parents or the guardians of these folks? So, Bart, let me go to you first on that. How do you determine, uh, how, how do you help folks determine who to target today? And you mentioned the parents issue, but do you think we still need to get in front of the parents and the guardians? Tell us a little bit more about your thoughts there. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to talk about is the whole idea of watering holes. So imagine you're you know, a photographer on a safari and you need to, you know, the place you're going to go to find the best photos is going to be at a watering hole because all of the, you know, the animals that you want to take a picture of are going to come to that place because they need water. Same thing happens for students. Students have watering holes. Parents have watering holes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, depending on what kind of student you're looking at, if you're a faith-based institution, churches are a good place for the watering holes because mm -hmm. that's where those students are going to be. If you are an athletic, you know, if let's say you've got 70% athletes at your institution, well, you might do what Marty's doing. You might go hang out at, you know, travel baseball, you know, organizations and teams. You want to go where those families are going to be from a mission fit. And so part of it is defining what is your mission fit especially small to medium-sized schools. I think this is critical. You've got to figure out where those, where those mission fit students are, and then you have to figure out where they're hanging out. I mean, we can all say, yeah, they're hanging on TikTok and, and social media and all those things. Yes, they are, but they are consuming a certain kind of content. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got to start identifying and really ratcheting down so that you know, and you do the persona exercises, you figure out who your mission fit, best fit students are, because again, we can grab everybody and pull them in. I mean, that's part of the challenge with things like the common app and other things where we just inflate the top of the funnel with so many applications that, that the admissions team is just running around like crazy working on, crazy. on yeah. applications as opposed to figuring out which one of these applications are the most important because they're going to be the mission fit students. Mm -hmm. So, but your second part of the question about, you know, parents and guardians and other parts that, yes, they are still critical. I mean, there's only three ways that students end up at an institution. It's either going to be a legacy student. So mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, and grandpa all went there. So I just have always known that I'm going to go there as well. Or you're going to have somebody who's been influenced. So maybe my neighbor down the street went to that school and she's talked about it and I really respect her and I want to check out that school. Or maybe my guidance counselor talked to me about it. Or maybe I ran into a, a, a rep that I really respected at a college fair. They're going to be influenced by someone else. Or the third one, which is becoming more prevalent, is discovery. It's like I go to Google. I used to go to my guidance counselor to ask, hey, I'm looking at do film and I want to, you know, I want to live in the Southeast. Where should I go? Well, now they're typing that into Google. And so now we have to have enough content on our websites, in our social media channels, in third-party places that are going to get us the information so those students kind of discover us. Because all of a sudden they might say, oh, I never heard about that school. That seems like that would work. I'm going to check that out. They go to the website. Mission Fit starts to come across, they self-identify, and all of a sudden they fall in love with a school that they didn't even know about, you know, 20 minutes earlier. And so those three areas are going to be critical. But not only that, when it gets to the fact that they are starting to look at those schools, starting a parent conflow or really starting to reach out to the parents, it's one of the reasons why I love print 
is that you can be in the inbox of the students, you can be in their text messages, you can be direct messaging them and Instagram and TikTok. But if mom and dad don't see it, right, they're not going to remind them. Mm, yep. uh, case in point, my son, you know, when he was doing his college search, five different schools he applied to, it was the school that copied mom and I on all the comm flow that made the difference because guess what we talked about at dinner? It was like, hey, did you see that email from Butler University this week? They've got a visit day next week. No, I didn't see that yet. I'll check my email. Hmm. That's because mom and dad were looking at it and we were only getting one or two emails about colleges where he's getting 650 emails that are basically the same thing with maybe a different subject line on each one. And so there's got to be a really good way that we get in front of mom and dad. Print is great because it comes in the mail. It sits on the counter. They can see that using tools like informed delivery so that mom and dad see the print piece in the email on the way there. All kinds of strategies. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier. We have to be willing to start looking and thinking outside the box that we've always been in and recognizing that this isn't just a one, two, three punch where we send out two direct mail pieces, you know, three emails and two calls and we check it off as done. I mean, we Mm got to be a lot more creative. Mm-hmm. Mary, I'm going to come to you with the same two-parter here. Uh, give us a little insight in how you're determining who you want to target today, and then give us a little context around how you view the need to still target and get in front of parents and guardians in the process. Absolutely. I'm, first, I'm going to agree with Bart. It, it starts with your mission, who we are, who are the students we want to attract. But I'm also going to say one of the things we do is looking at who are the students that come to our institution, who are the students that succeed, right? So we wanna be able to look at what are the characteristics of those students, and then also look at what our enrollment goals are. So this year we've had you know, an increase wanting to look at how do we diversify our population, be more out of state? How do we look at more low income first gen? I mean, that starts with a conversation with your senior leaders on your campus, understanding what your mission is and then where you want to be going in the future. And then looking at what are those goals and then creating your strategies on how you're going to get those students. And one of the things we really looked at was how do we identify, again, those students who are coming to the University of Florida and then find pockets of those students in areas where we know we may have some traction There are some areas where we know we have large alumni. There are areas where we know there are populations of like families, maybe socioeconomic, it may not be. And we did a lot through search. And I think it goes to Bart's part conversation. We talked about the discovery, right? We may purchase those students' names and then start targeting them about UF. But we also targeted the parents. Um, And he is right on. I mean, one of the things we know is we just cannot have a communication stream for students. We have a communication plan directed at parents. And we do send our a lot of mail material to the home because it is directed at the parent. We do a lot for our students through targeted social media, through digital marketing, but, you know, again, it, it, it goes back to what is your mission? Who are the students you want to attract? And then building those strategies in various ways. The other thing I will say, our alumni have been amazing, mm-hmm. not just through our working with us on search, but your alumni are all over the country. They're internationally. They have sometimes connections into high schools better than we do. So we have been utilizing 
our alumni association to help us through the recruitment campaign. And they've actually targeted students through the influence. I'll use Bart's words, but that that's one area where they've influenced families to say, hey, Susie, you know, we go, you know, we work together. Let me tell you about my alma mater. And that has been really successful for us as well. But I will say, no matter how you target them, you got to go back to making sure that people on your campus understand what your mission is, understand what are your targeted goals, and everyone should come together to build a holistic strategy that helps you recruit these students and get them to enroll. And that includes a comprehensive comms plan for parents, guidance counselors, people who are alumni. We have communication that goes out to our alums. It has to be all in tandem so that you can help mm -hmm. to meet your goals. Mm -hmm. Mary, I'm going to I'm going to ask you a quick question here that I just saw come in from Jay relative to the student specifically. Are you finding that direct mail is still relevant to getting those students into the funnel? No. Hmm. We've seen a little bit direct mail certainly helps be visible, helps UF get out there. It's helping us to build our brand. But with those name purchases, we worked directly with Ring Digital and we targeted them through a campaign there that led them to a microsite where they got a lot of information through video and other means. And what we have seen over the last year, that has been much more successful for us in introducing who we are as the University of Florida than through a direct mail. Interesting. All right, let's dig more into that here in just a moment when we get to the the, the Q&A portion. I'm sure that's going to perk some ears up. Marty, I'm going to come to you with the same question here. I want to know from you, from your perspective at Ring, how are you seeing folks or how are you helping folks determine who to target? And then talk briefly to us about your view on whether we should be getting in front of parents and guardians. Yes. So listening, again, just going back to that hearing who do you want to target and mary mentioned this community piece that community piece when we were trying to target those pell grant low income first generation students there were really two objectives the the objectives were their pain was what spoke most to them and resonated with them was does that institution even want me? Mm. And then if I learn that that objection, if I can overcome that objection, the immediate objection following is, can I afford it? So we had to help them understand that they belonged there. We had to communicate to them and to their parents that you belong there. We want you here and you can afford it. So let's open that conversation. Let's have that discussion. And so, yes, absolutely. A big emphatic yes with, you know, you hear this all the time. It takes a village when you're talking about raising children. And it really does. But where does the village start? Every village is broken down into singular components. Those singular components, no matter how big or how small, is a four-letter word, home. And we have to start there. How do we target people at home? How do we reach people at home so that 
instead of waiting for them to go somewhere and then capture them or serve them some type of conversation piece in any form multi-channel, let's start at home so that no matter where they go, then we are continuing that conversation wherever they are. But it all starts at home, starts at the dinner table, starts yep. at, you know, you're sitting on the sidelines of a baseball field, you know, you're hanging out with families at barns, you know, all this kind of stuff. And believe me, at horse shows, for those who aren't familiar and those who are familiar, <laughs> you spend a lot of time sitting around talking, lots yeah. of it. Yeah. And the biggest piece of this is when you start at home and you take that conversation and it continues wherever you go, the watering holes, like Bart was talking about, where we see tons of success, that watering hole is specifically for those students who say, I heard your message, I resonate with your message, and then they raise their own hand and give you their information to say, I would like to continue this conversation, please. Now we should target those people precisely, again, I said it earlier, I'm going to sound like a broken record, the right message to the right people at the right time. And yep. yeah, and and the last thing I'll say on this, and believe me, we could go on and on about this, you know, for days. But as we're exploring who it is that raises their hand, there, the conversation piece is is so important because it's the sum of all the marketing parts. We found that, like Mary was saying before. We had a, we, we purposefully will piggyback on direct mail and it makes the, the digital combination or the digital injection to direct mail brings it alive. And direct mail on its own can still do things, but it's not going to do what it can when it has that booster, so to speak. Sorry, I feel like I just brought COVID language into this. <laughs> thing, but what I will also say is this. What, to Bart's point, what's important to the student? I would then say, we also, I would add to that, what's important to the parent or the guardian? That's why they also need to receive this content. Because what's the number one, and I never realized this, my kids are, they're only 15 and 12. So I've got a lot, lot more runway to go here, you know? So I'm, I'm still learning how to parent. But I can tell you right now, if I'm standing on a campus my number one thought in years ahead is going to be, can I trust you with my most important piece of my life being my children? Hmm. And that's why we have to get to the parents too, because the students want to have to be there and the parents want to have to trust you that they're there. Got it. Got it. I want to hear from the audience as well, from all of you here with as much detail as you can in the chat box there is it's it's helpful to the conversation here what would you say is the most challenging thing about defining the right audience for your institution and targeting them effectively or from the point of view that you have let us know there in the chat please take a moment to drop that there into the chat i want to hear that from you now i want to pivot folks get your thoughts panel on how to address the change in demographics and how how do we diversify Enrollment and the, the, the demographics for students are changing and I know institutions are diversifying their enrollment. We've already touched on that just a bit here in the conversation. But Bart, I'm gonna start with you here briefly. Who are the, from your perspective, who are the hard to reach students outside of kind of the, the institution's backyard 
that you think they need to be thinking about reaching? What would you say, Bart? It kind of goes back to that, you know, mantra that I go through as the mission fit student. I mean, you know, certainly you're going to get your, you're going to get the mission fit students in your backyard because they know of you. They've, they've heard of you They're They've been on campus. Those types of things are, are going to be kind of your, you know, if you're, if you're building it, building your, the base of what you're doing, that's going to be your foundation. I mean, you're, you're going to get those. I think where it gets harder is that when you start getting a little bit more creative on drawing those other mission fit students, and that's why I keep saying that, you know, if you have to fill a class, let's say you're filling a class of 500. I mean, you know, I know we all have different sizes here. I mean, some schools that are listening maybe have to fill a class of 175. Other schools right. are filling a class of, you know, mm-hmm. 10,000, 15,000. Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay. But what I'm trying to point out here is that there are enough people. I mean, even with the enrollment cliff coming, if you can identify the mission fit of who you are and you can be clear in the way you communicate, you can be clear in the way that you are you know, presenting that communication and marketing to them. You're in the right watering holes. You're in the right places. They're being, you're being discovered in the right ways. You're going to be okay. It's the schools that are going to just continue to do what they've always done and expect a result that are going to have a challenge. And so my point is, is that there are going to always be enough students for your school who fit your mission. You just have to find them. And that's going to be a lot harder than it has been in the past. But that's one source of hope that I give everyone in the enrollment cliff is that if you know what you're doing and you pay attention, you can weather the storm. You can actually probably do well in this storm. But if you put your head down and just say, I just want this to be over, and you try to ignore <laughs> it and just play like it's just going to blow over, your house right. is gone when you're done. And so that's, yeah. that's where we are right now. It is a storm. And we just have to know how to, how to weather. And so that, that's why I keep going back to know who you are, be able to articulate who you are and be able to put that out in enough different channels and in different places that people are drawn to you. That's where you're going to see success. Mary, as you think about diversifying enrollment, I'm going to ask you the same question here from your perspective there. Who are the, the hard to reach students that you're thinking about outside kind of your, your normal area that you are reaching out to give us a little insight into how you look at that and and what you're experiencing there. No, thank you. And I will say to Bart's point, you know, we talk about articulate and differentiate who we are. And I think that is so important to any of the students that we are reaching out to. One of the things we're looking at is how do we, again, out of state, you know, and thinking about how do we reach those students who really don't know who the University of Florida is. Maybe they know us for Gator football, right? But they maybe don't mm-hmm. know of the academics, um, that we're a top five public institution, that we have a 97% retention rate. Do they even care? And so it's how do we, again, communicate that? And as Bart said, if, if you are not doing this and then you are not thinking about how to differentiate, you certainly are gonna have some difficulties moving forward. I think the other thing for us that we've really had to focus on, particularly as we are looking to diversify our our students is looking at financial aid optimization. You know, we know that affordability is one of the biggest challenges for families across the United States. And as an institution, we really had to look at 
how are we using our federal, state, and institutional dollars to effectively recruit and retain and graduate students? And what we quickly realized is we probably weren't as efficient and as effective as we needed to be. It wasn't that we didn't have the funds, it was that we weren't leveraging them quite as best as we should. And we also weren't using the funds to actually help us meet enrollment targets. And so we have completely revamped our scholarships, really looking at what are we doing for low-income first-gen? That is extremely important to us. What are we doing to help us with our non-residents and international students as well? And again, those are those students that are outside our backyard that are not even in our backyard because we have been a predominantly Florida institution. And so we are having to completely change the way that we think about our recruitment strategies, our financial aid strategies, our communication strategies to reach these students, to tell our story, to articulate it in a way that they understand and that, that we are different than other institutions that they're considering. Fascinating. Thank you, folks in the audience. I see so many of you dropping in questions here. Uh, Haley, I see yours. Carrie, Joseph, thank you. Chris, thank you. Please keep those coming in. In a few moments here, we, we will go to Q&A. My team's been collecting all of your questions, and I want to make sure to get to as many of them as we possibly can. So please keep that feedback coming. It's, it's very helpful to us. Marty, you talked about boosting. I'm going to use the word supercharging here to tie the next set of questions here around digital technology that can supercharge enrollment. I was just at the National Postal Forum. I don't know if anyone was there. Let me know in the chat if you were there. Just a few days ago, speaking to executives from postal, mail, digital markets about how the consumer is changing and how consumer behavior is changing relative to marketing and engaging folks across multiple channels. And for any of us who target consumers, the way I look at things, and I want to hear from the panel, you know, it's not up to us how they want to engage. The consumer is in control. I think everyone would agree with that. But as marketers, we have to adapt, even if it's out of our own comfort zone. And if it's new technology, different ways of reaching people, it's our job to go where the consumer's attention is. So I want to hear from the panel on this thought here. I'm going to start with you, Bart. Specifically, what are enrollment officers like the folks that we're hearing from today what are they requiring from their digital marketing partners as they think about driving enrollment? Bart. I think there's two main things that I'm seeing. One is a, a desire to partner rather than being a vendor. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, and that's something that I've always believed in throughout my career. I was taught early on in my career by some smart, smart business owners that I, that I worked for that people can go get vendors all day long the people want partners who actually feel and empathize with what they're going on and actually want to creatively help solve the solutions rather than just, you know, you know, cash the checks. And so Charge. I, think yeah. I think that's going to be a huge part is just finding partners who are willing to get in the trenches with you and think creatively and figure things out. And then I think hmm. the second part of that is going to be partners who are actually bringing ideas to the table rather than just being order takers. Hmm. Uh, one of the things I've always tried to do throughout my career is being on the front edge of, of technology, not, not to, you know, make guinea pigs of my, of my partnerships with my institutions, but, you know, I, I saw the internet in 1994 and thought this might be something marketers and designers ought to know about. 
And I told my boss at the time, and he told me I was crazy that that was a fad and that don't worry about it. <laughs> but, you know, and then I, you know, 2004, I started telling people, hey, Facebook's getting ready to go to the public. I think we ought to pay attention to that. That might be something. Social media might be something people are going to be curious about. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where that went. And right now, what I've been telling people is, hey, artificial intelligence is going to be a big thing. You need to pay attention. Uh-huh figure out yep. how you're going to use chat GPT in your enrollment marketing. And I, yep. I presented this week at a conference about that and certainly willing offline to talk to more about that. And that's my passion right now, but I think we have to figure out how to use digital technologies and not run away from them, not be scared mm. of them, be scared of the faculty when the faculty are saying, we're not going to have chat GPT at this school. We've got to figure out how to actually articulate it well and be able to start using it and, 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 use the tools that are at our disposal. Mm-hmm. Mary, give it to us straight here. I what are will. you looking for? Yeah, what are you looking for from your digital marketing partners? Just between us here as friends, share it straight. All right. I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty hardcore here. Okay. It is for me about relationships. Mm-hmm. I ah. need to understand and know the person I am working with. Mm-hmm. I need to know that That person is going to work just as hard as my team and I are going to work to help meet our goals. Mm -hmm. I do not want to be talked at. I don't want you to come in and tell me that you're going to fix all my problems, but you don't listen to what my actual concerns are. And I think Bart said it best. I want somebody who's going to come to me and say, hey, we have this great idea. I know that you have this challenge. We'd love to talk with you about how this would work. That is so important to me. I don't want to just talk to people I partner with when we have a meeting. It is about a relationship. I want to know a little, I want them to know about me and I want to know about them. And I think that Mm. is so important. I think that's important, not only in our relationships with our digital marketing partners, but it's what I tell our recruiters, our admissions counselors, this, the world that we live in is about relationships. And people need, Marty said it best, when they leave their student on our our campus, they need to know who we are and they need to know that they can trust us. And that's part of this whole process. And and that is definitely something that I live by in the work that I do. Alicia in the chat, Alicia, not Susan. Yes, Alicia says, yes, relationships are everything. I've actually had people verbalize to me that our recruiting efforts are antiquated Knowing our population is Appalachian and high risk, high risk, I would argue that the relationships we have built within the school, students, and administrators across the state is what's driving our year-over-year face-to-face increases. I think I'm, I'm reading you correctly there, Alicia. That's fascinating, Mary. So let me ask you just a follow-up on that, Mary. When you say building a relationship is important, you know we've just come out of a period where Zoom and electronic communication like this has been the norm. How important to you is the face-to-face interaction with your digital technology partners towards building that relationship? You know, I think what I, what I have seen and what I feel like has been working for our team is we do a lot with our partner on Zoom because there are periodic meetings that we need to have. But when we did a planning session, we all got in one room, a big room. We sat around so everyone could see each other. And Mm. we did our planning for a half a day. And that, I don't think we would have gotten where we were that Mm. met our goals that year if we were not sitting face to face and really looking at the data 
looking and hearing each other about what we could do together. So I'm fine with periodic webinar, you know, Zoom meetings, but I also think there are times when you have to get in a room face to face and yes. really begin to hash out what hash out what your plans are. Marty, I know this is going to be tough because I know you see it a lot at the given the table that you sit at, but I want to ask you this question and then get to the real-time Q&A here. Mm -hmm. From your perspective there at Ring, you are leading a digital technology company. How are you seeing digital technology meeting today's enrollment challenges? Give us just a snapshot of what that mm -hmm. leading edge looks like from your seat there. Yeah, I think it goes back to what, what people are looking for. They're looking for relationships. And in those relationships, they're looking for truth, transparency, and accuracy. They want to know, hey, how do I verify that what I'm doing with you is making a difference? How do I know that what you're doing is avoiding the, the challenges and not just avoiding them, but overcoming those challenges? How do I know? Can you prove it to me who I've reached? Mm. Can, you, can you prove to me whether this is successful? And I think that's, that's where that's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. You have to be able to prove. Partners, just like Bart said, people should grill their partners. And as partners and as friends, we should, we should be excited and energized by that because we're invested in this together. And our, our founder, one of our co-founders, PJ Wenzel, this all started because he listened to a question that one of his relationships asked him. Yep. Why can't I do this? And so he said, you know, I'm going to go figure it out. <laughs> so the last, I mean, I think the numbers were like over 400 investigative hours by Alex, who is now our chief digital strategist. And all he did was interview people and listen to them. And we, it's not that we, we discovered things in the world that weren't known to everyone. We just took the next step and we yeah. solved them because I was on a, another panel in the property management space and I walked away from a conversation with someone and I really summed it up like this. And it's, it's what Mary said, you know, tactics are tactics produce transactions, but relationships produce value. Hmm. And the value is what we really need to get to. Who yep. do we know? Who are we working with? Can those people trust us? And so that's why, I mean, it, it blew our mind when we were like, wow, 52 to 56%, more than half of all internet traffic online is non-human. Well, how do we get around that? Okay, check. We solved for that. Now we, can, now we don't have to waste money on bot traffic. And it's not our money in the first place. It's the institution's money. And if it's a right, public institution, right. it's the taxpayer's money. And we have to be able to verify every dime that's spent. And to Mary's point earlier, how is it, how is it proving that it's, it's working? And so, and, and I love, I love in-person meetings. You know, one of the things that I think the, the pandemic did is it actually helped to get rid of the phone call. And at least now, periodically, 
we can see people in 2D. Yep. Yes, just like this, face to face, which is helpful. Interesting. But it is it will never be a replacement ever for the impact that flesh in the same room as flesh having a yep. conversation real people having real challenges and solving real problems together. That's really yeah. what it boils down to. And if, if you are the same person on camera as you are in a room, you start to bridge a gap like, Oh, I can trust this person. And right. so I love those in-person meetings. When we flew down to Florida, that was so great. And then I'll tell you what, I, I wanted to learn more about the industry and Mary was so kind. I mean, it was, it was what over two hours and I think I have six pages of notes from those two hours of her just sharing. And I learned more about Mary probably than I did the industry, but I learned a ton about the industry. So yes, relationships, truth, transparency, accuracy. I mean, I could go on. I'll, I'll stop, but I can go on. I want to get to the questions now. Everyone that has submitted a question in the chat, if I haven't answered it or if the panel hasn't answered it in the course of the discussion here, don't hesitate to paste it back into the chat. My team also has a document here in front of me where I'm seeing the open questions. So I'm going to get to those in just a moment. And if anything has sparked something in your mind that you want to get from the panelists here, I've asked them right before we went on air, if they would be willing to stick around a little bit past the hour to make sure that we get to all of your questions. So please stick around. We're going to get to all of those. While I get those ready, though, I want to make you aware of one more thing. My team is going to grab this URL and get it ready for you because if you want to learn more from Marty, or for that matter, any of the panelists that you've heard from today, take a moment to visit this URL, which my team is going to drop here in the chat. If you have questions about anything you heard about today and want to speak one-on-one -on -one with any of the experts at Ring Digital, that's what this is for. You've heard Marty. He's passionate about bringing you knowledge to advance the industry, to lean into the value of relationship and bring you help that you need to meet your enrollment goal. So if this is something you want to know more about, if this is something you want to learn more about, please take a moment, visit that URL. He and his company do these kinds of sessions here to help you to invest in the market's understanding of how to leverage digital technology to make better business decisions. So take a moment to visit that URL or jot it down. My team's going to drop it there in the chat. Looks like we already have. Thank you, team. When you go to that URL, you're going to see a page like this. Just take a moment, fill in that form, and we will uh, get back to you very quickly in order to continue the conversation, all right? So my team's dropped that there in the chat, make a copy of that, and now let me get to the questions that have come in here in real time. Chris, I see saying super insightful panel discussion. Thank you all. Chris, thank you. Thank you for being here. The first one comes from Anna. Maya, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Again, Anna, forgive me if I've said this incorrectly here. Now, panel, raise your hand, wave your hand at me like this if you can answer this question as we go through these. First question, how are you addressing Sarah as you expand into other states, S-A-R-A? -A? Who, can, who can answer that for me? I feel like that might be a Mary. Yeah, <laughs> it could be a Bart too. Now, I, I will say we, we have not, I mean, we certainly look into that, but we have not seen an impact on the work that we are doing with 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 the with issues of Sarah, so it really has not for us been an issue in the states that we have been going into. I don't know Bart if you or anyone else deals with that or even anyone on the call, but I haven't really had to deal with that issue. Part of the challenge is is that it's just the 
the regulation that happens when you're looking at online, you know, being able to serve up online classes to different states. Each state has a different, you know, different regulations, probably a little bit deeper than what we can go in here. Actually, Anamaya is one of my clients and I'll walk with, talk with her a little bit offline. Anamaya. Okay, great. I'm thankful for the pronunciation there. Thank you, Bart. Marianne's got the next question here. Mary, this is directed at you. The question is, does Mary have a sense of why colleges are not moving into the high schools to provide a college degree upon graduating from high school? Wow, that is, you know, it's a great question. And it is actually, I, I think we have, not ha we have not had to do that before. We have not had to think about that before, right? And so I was going to say we didn't, we didn't ran out of time. But, you know, one of the things we're looking at is this dual enrollment piece. And how are we going to push it, even from the University of Florida, pushing our dual enrollment so that students are coming in with more credit? right? And maybe coming in with that associate's degree. Again, I don't know that schools have had to really think about that way as a pipeline to get students in, but it's certainly when we think about other rep enrollment pathways, it is something mm -hmm. we should be thinking about, right? Going into the high schools offering. So now our admissions counselors are talking about dual enrollment. Let me tell you about the dual enrollment program we have at University of Florida, and how you can make that connection much earlier. Again, it's an alternative pathway to get them into your system. You can start communicating with them. I think we're gonna start to see that more and more from other universities. But again, I think in the past, we just haven't had to. Schools haven't had this big of an issue in terms of this enrollment crunch, you know, the cliff that we're seeing now. So I think you're gonna see more of that. And if you're not doing it, it is something that you need to be thinking about because, again, it is a new, it is another pathway for you. Marianne says, thank you, spot on. I am a Mary fan. Mary, you've got at least one fan. I'm sure there are many more well, here in the audience. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to yes. chat with you. Loves her fans. Another Anna Maya question here. And wave your hand at me, panel, if you want to take this one. Interesting question. How do you help officers understand the need to invest in recruiting and marketing during budget crisis? Uh, we need to move from banner to slate for admissions and it requires investment. Officer team wants commitment on ROI and we're trying to address this with some guesswork, but we need CRM for operations. Without it, we're not going to be able to conduct operations. So you know what, I'm gonna go Mary back to you again and then I'll see if Marty and Bart wanna uh, address this. Mary, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I think it is extremely important that right now, as you think about how do you tell that story, one of the things I've, I've done in the past when I'm trying to tell the story to the administration of why we need something, one of the things we know with the CRM and speci specifically if you need to utilize that or to get money to do that, in today's competitive environment, if you do not have a CRM, you are not able to do multi-channel approaches. You are not usually able to segment, personalized, and be able to track, you know, if you send an email, if a student is opening it up, if you're not able to have that information, you're already behind the eight ball. And so I think when you look at return on investment, one of the things we did was if we had this CRM, 
we know that we're going to be able to reach X number of students more. By reaching X number of students more, we believe that we're going to be able to increase our enrollment by this amount. This is the return on investment. This is the net tuition revenue that we're going to be able to bring into the institution by investing X. After so many years, this is going to pay for itself. And I think those are the pieces that you have to start thinking about. It's how we, you know, I recently got four new recruiters to be territory managers. And the way that I did it was to show if I could put them into markets, mm -hmm. I'm going to, one, have visibility for the brand, two, increase my applications, three, enroll more students from that area. And after one year, I could probably pay for that particular recruiter. So you have to bring it down to what matters to the person you're talking to. Talking and then to, how do yeah. you direct your story to make sure that you're you're making them feel like you're you're able to answer it based on what they feel is important, not what you think is important. Mm -hmm. Yep. I want to I want to hear uh, Marty and Bart your response to that, but I know we're a little past the hour here folks. If you have to leave and don't want to miss the rest of the Q&A, Please let us know if you want a recording of this session. Drop your best email there in the chat so that we ensure that we get that to you. Go ahead and take a moment to do that if by chance you have to leave. Otherwise, stick around. We're going to get into everything here. So, Marty, I want to give you an opportunity to answer that same question. What would your advice be to a question like that? Yeah, CRMs are data rich. There is so much data. And uh, another our, our other co-founder, Fritz Wenzel, he, I would hear him say, Let's put data to work. Let's put data to work. And it's their data. So institutions have this first party data in their CRM of people who both undergraduate, graduate, who have raised their hand. Maybe it's a stopout student. Maybe it's a transfer student. Maybe it's Pell Grant. But you have all these students. If you have data, you can target them. And you need to target them with a purpose and to be intentional. Again, it goes back to that right message at the right time to the right people. And what ends up happening is now, if you're going to send, I'll, I'll say this, even though Mary might disagree, if you're going to send a mailer, <laughs> you can make your digital, your animated digital display ad mirror your direct mail piece. And at the same time, Again, some of all the parts, your counselors are calling these people, having these conversations while mailers are dropping in their mailbox. Why? While, while they're in their browsers and apps where they spend a ton of time, they're getting that psychological undercurrent of this institution. We want you. You belong here. And so now, instead of having to flood their inbox with four emails during the week so that you can say, can I assure that I'm getting in front of them? I got to send them another email. Well, that might frustrate them. That will most likely frustrate them. There, there's, there's a large consumer brand out there that I would buy their products every day of the week. I won't say it though, because I don't like how many times they email me. So I've actually unsubscribed. <laughs> but you know what? I see their display ads and I love those. So we have to be purposeful. We have to be intentional. It has to be a sum of all those marketing parts. And, you know, I'll say this too that it, Mary said it, it's, it's what is that return on that investment? And it goes back to what did we say? It all starts at home. So if we can't tie what we're doing for our partners, for our friends, for our relationships, if we can't tie everything that we're doing back to the home, 
then we have a then then we have a very hard time saying with any proof, any demonstrable stake in the ground, we made an impact for you. We listened to you, we heard you, we created this for you alongside with like we're doing this together. And it all goes back to the home. If you can prove that I targeted as an institution, I wanted to target 123 South Main Street. And now look at this. 123 South Main Street started an application and they finished it. And now they now they enrolled. Now they've registered and now we've deposited. And you can you can see an X factor of seven, eight, nine times because of that purposeful intentionality with proof. It just it's it's again goes back to that truth, transparency, and accuracy. Data is so valuable, and institutions are sitting on a wealth of valuable, powerful targeting pieces. Bart, I'm going to get you in on the next question here. I, I'm going to throw this at Mary and then come to you, Bart. This is from Chris. Thank you, Chris, for your interaction during the session today. Chris is saying, as an adult learner attended UF Online, you think higher ed marketers should focus their message to attract adult learners. Maybe focus on adults who have some college and no degree. There is a lot of these low-hanging fruits. Mary, first, and then you, Bart, what would you advise? You know, I think, you know, Bart and I both said it goes back to what the mission is and, and who are the types of students. And we definitely know when we're looking at, especially for UF, yes, we should be looking at who are the students that maybe even started our institution and left and never got a degree anywhere. How do we get them back? And do we need to offer UF online as a flexible option for them or do they wanna to come to campus? I definitely think as an institution, when we think about our enrollment, we are looking at all paths and that can be one, looking at adult learners. UF online, an online opportunity is much more flexible probably for our adults who have children who are maybe working. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's where we have to say, you know, I, I've said to come to UF, there are multiple pathways. That pathway may be through an online program. It may be through dual enrollment. It even may be through workforce or credential. But those pathways can lead to other things. And that is why at an institution, you need a holistic enrollment model so that all the pieces work in tandem and they can come together and you build multiple pipelines. But credentials, workforce is another area that even UF as a flagship we're looking into because, you know, we know 40, you know, many of our families are thinking maybe college isn't the right way to go, which we need to say that it is. But the other piece is we know that the adult credentials, undergraduate credentials that students are receiving have grown tremendously over the last couple of years. If we're not using that as another revenue source and another way to build pipelines, then I think we're also missing the mark. Art, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I going back to the adult learners, I, I mean, I think the stats are that one in four of every adult has some college, but no degree. And so there's a hmm. huge market out there. So when you talk about the enrollment cliff, that's one piece of the puzzle. And so that's where I would try to encourage everyone to, again, think creatively in the sense that, you know, if, if there are that many adults out there, I mean, the Lumina Foundation for Education pushed a big goal 2025 a few years ago with, you know, hoping to get 60% of the adult population with a post-secondary degree of some kind. There's a lot of opportunity out there. And so I think that starting with the people who already have some college who just need to finish that 
And to Mary's point, I, I think that's a, a great way to go. And one thing to keep in mind when you are at the adult level and you're, you're not competing against six other schools that the students are looking at, you're competing against life. And you've got to make sure that that comm flow and the way that you do those marketing efforts are focused on those needs of those students because you can't just throw them into a you know three month comm flow and and be done and assume they're not in, you know not interested anymore because life changes and and you know people that you might have had an RFI for before COVID guess what they're probably still interested in coming to college they just haven't got right. back onto it yet and so okay. I think that's where she looks at. David, can I just say one thing that Bart mentioned too? I just think it's important when you think about alternate revenue, different enrollment paths. When you think about your alumni, there was a new study that just came out from Wiley that talked about getting to renew your hard skills, soft skills. And after you know mm-hmm. two years, you should be thinking about what do I need to do to upskill my the, those skills and five years for soft skills. So one of the things you should be looking at is how can we draw back our alum to come back mm-hmm. to do these credentials that mm-hmm. can generate some additional revenue for institutions sure. that will then allow them to use that revenue to help drive some of the academic, other academic pieces at the institution. So just wanted to put that out there to say, that's great. That's another piece that you could be looking at. For sure. I see Todd, Susan, bunch of Susan, Steve, Let's see, Stephanie, Sam, Rich, Misty, Megan, Matt, Ken, Jay, you're all still here. Cynthia, Christian, Chris, if you have any questions that you would like to throw to the panel, please let us know there in the chat. I have a question for all of you who are still here. Thank you for sticking around with us. Here's my question to all of you, and this is very helpful to us. So please, (laughs) please take a moment. I want to know what stood out to you today? As you think back to the discussion that we've had, I would like to hear from you. What's the insight or the, the aha, the light bulb moment that was informative for you? Take a moment, please. Give us that there in the chat. I want to know what that was for you today. I'm going to read some of those back here for you. I also got a list of all of the folks who would like the recording, and we will make sure that we get that out to you. We're going to go just a few more moments here to make sure that we get to all of your questions If you are still here, you're also going to get that white paper. We appreciate everybody sticking around. I know we've gone over our allotted time, but thank you for sticking around. And panel, thank you as well. Rich is looking for the recording. Bart, absolutely, you'll get the recording as well. Everybody who wants the recording, let us know there in the chat. I see a lot of comments thanking the panel for the participation. We appreciate the panel for sticking around here and continue to answer questions. Chris says, I really thought it was insightful to make sure you communicate that underserved potential students know that they are welcome at your school. So Chris, thank you for that. That stood out to you. That's good to hear. Misty says, purposeful targeting with the intention of showing them we want them and showing parents they are in safe hands. Yes, that's certainly important to me as a parent. Susan says, thank you. I'd like a recording of this meeting. No problem. You got that. Susan says, confirmed that we are on the right path. Need to dig deep to find alternate student cohorts. Could you also please send me the recording? Absolutely, Susan. We'd be happy to. Rich says, the aha moment came from how granular we have to go in order to develop interest in potential students. Marianne says, I really appreciated the approach of try, fail, and learn. Christian says, the aha was that most institutions 
still expect to grow enrollment despite the enrollment cliff, and some institutions are not properly preparing for it. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, thank you, folks. Keep those comments coming in. Uh, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment. So if I didn't get your question, please put that there in the chat. If you want to have your question answered by the esteemed panel here, if you enjoyed the session today, please give the panel some love there in the chat. Let us know if you got value out of it. Thank them. I want to make sure that we thank Marty, that we thank Mary Parker, Bart, for their participation today. And thank you to all of you for spending time here with us today. Susan says, thank you for sharing your knowledge. You're welcome, Susan. We'd love to do more of these. If these are useful and informative to you, please let us know. We're happy to continue bringing you this information. So Marty, Mary, and Bart, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say a closing word here, and then I will bring us to a close. So Marty, I'll start with you. Well, if I could say two words, uh, first of all, I know you thanked us, but I, I would like to thank you for hosting this, for putting this together. There is a lot of behind the scenes work that most people will, will not see. They'll, they see a finished polished product. This doesn't happen just by accident. So Dave, Beth, everyone on the MindFire team, thank Fantastic you. Fantastic team. So very much. I will say a friend of mine, my final, my final thought would be a friend of mine does this, says this with his business, people first, digital always. And I, that really <laughs> resonates with me. Wow. Profound. Mary, can you top that? No, <laughs> but no. So I'm not even going to try, but I will say this, you know, we talk about it takes a village to recruit students on our campus, but I will say from an enrollment manager perspective, it is about community. It is about all of us enrollment leaders admissions, all of us coming together. And so having an opportunity to be a part of this group, thank you all very much for that. But also to the people who are on the webinar, I mean, that's what we're all here for. We help each other. Yes, we might compete in times, but for the most part in our community, it is about relationships. And so if there are things that we can all help each other with, that's what we should be doing. So thank you again for, for having me here. And thanks for those of you who attended. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate you. And, and I'm sure the, the audience does as well as I can see here from the chat. Bart, your final word for today. Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And I just would echo to what everybody else said to me, just the idea of their partnerships, their relationships. I, I loved what Mary said, and, and I heard somebody say this the other day. They said, you know, even though we are all in the same space, we're all kind of pulling in the same direction for an educated, you know, public. We, you know, we, want, we want our country, our society, our world to be educated. And I think that, you know, when we kind of start thinking about that, we're all on the same team. We're trying to get students to, to find their best place, find their mission fit. It's going to be competitive. Yeah, that's part of what goes on. But at the end of the day, I, I still go back to the fact that if we can identify our own authenticity, identify who we are, articulate it, those students are going to be drawn to you. And you just have to be creative in the ways that you get the word out to them. So again, thanks everybody for being a part of this. Well, thank you, Marty, Mary, Bart, and most importantly, thank all of you who are spending time with us here today. We all hope that you enjoyed the conversation and that you learned some new ways to think about the enrollment cliff and the work that you do, which is so vitally important. And with that, thank you all. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.